So now I'd like to introduce um, our guest speaker. Uh, today we are joined by um, uh, the super regional leader for uh, Vineyard USA. This is John Elmer. He's here from Syracuse, New York, and uh, John oversees uh, churches throughout the country. Um, he oversees four, re five regions, five regions of the United States, which is hundreds of vineyard churches. And uh, he joined us here this week because we just got done with a regional retreat in Turner, Oregon. Um, it ended yesterday. It was this beautiful time of about 130 uh, vineyard folks from all over the Pacific Northwest gathered together to, to worship and to come under some teaching and to sort of be united in vision as we, we look to the future together. And so when you have guests come from across the country for a retreat, you snag them, you nab them, and you tell them you got to preach uh, on Sunday morning as well. Uh, so will you guys welcome John for me? Well, thank you. Thank you, Marshall. Um, you know, that's not exactly true, all that Marshall just said, to be honest with you. Um, I'm his parole officer, and I am here for a pop-in visit. So if there's any problems, just blink twice, and I will talk to you after. Now, it is great to be here, and, um, you know, Marshall is a beloved and key leader in the Vineyard Movement. He oversees this region, and uh, this church has a great reputation of being a warm church and an important church. And, um, you know, the time that you invest in churches throughout the Northwest, uh, I want to thank you as a congregation for giving him space to do that. It really makes a difference for a lot of churches. And I just think the, as, the water, as the water rises, all the boat rises. And uh, it gives Marshall an opportunity to hang out with uh, people he may not get a chance to hang out with. So um, thank you for your, your grace around that. You know, uh, I've lived in a lot of places. I've lived in Syracuse. I've lived in rural Pennsylvania. I lived on the Jersey Shore. I've lived in New York City, you know, Pittsburgh, Los Angeles, Hollywood, uh, Bangkok, Thailand. I've lived in all those different places. And, you know, Syracuse is a good place. It's, it's, it's got a great food scene. It um, has four seasons it has Syracuse University sports. A big fan, I know. It's probably what? Is this duck country here? Not so much. Okay, what is it? I think we're house divided. House divided. This is awkward. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I don't want to say go UCLA, right? That, that would be very wrong. Okay, good. Um, you know, it's, it's big enough to have lots of entertainment, and small enough not to have lots of traffic problems. And so, you know, I like it. It also has its problems. Syracuse, uh, the Brookings Institute did a, uh, a study on this about eight years ago or so. And Syracuse was ranked, uh, the Syracuse area was the ninth most segregated area in the United States. That uh, Syracuse has, according to census reports, one of the, some of the deepest concentrations of poverty anywhere in the country. That it is, uh, it used to be the 12th most unchurched area 
in the United States, according to Bonner Research. And uh, one thing that you may know Syracuse for, and it's a, a blessing and a curse, uh, we are number one in snowfall for cities in the United States. You know, how about that, right? So, um, you know, honestly, Syracuse is a mixed bag. But I'll tell you, I love it because Jesus loves it. I've honestly gotten Jesus' heart for Syracuse. And because of his love for it in me, it's allowed me to excitedly, passionately serve that place for the last 32 years as I, I went there to plant a church so long ago. You know, it's important that we have Jesus' heart for our area, where we live. It's important that we let him inspire us for a place, that, that, that we would receive his love, that we, in that we would, we would receive his endurance to keep serving a place, to, to receive his wisdom to be creative in how we engage an area for the kingdom of God. You know, why is this all so important here? My first point I want to say is Jesus loved his community. You know, uh, Jesus said this, says, for God so loved the world that, you know, the world, his creation, the place where the, the, the epitome of his creation, humanity, the, the, the thing that he loved so much was here. This was his community. This is how he expanded the community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, created us in his image, put, put us here. And he loved us so much. He loved his wider community so much that he gave. That love is giving. That he was, he was generous and he gave his very best. The Father gave the Son through the Spirit to us. That's how much he loved. He didn't like, you know, just uh, re-gift something. Like, man, the Holy Spirit just gave me this fruit loaf and I don't really like it. So, you know, he gave his best for a purpose said, whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life, that he could be with them forever and ever. Jesus loved this community. You know, let me read you a little story about how much he loved his community. This is, this is at the end of his life. He's on the way, um, literally marching to Jerusalem. And the story picks up in Luke. It says, as he approached Jerusalem. Now, I want you to think about this, right? Put yourself in his sandals for a minute. He is a Jew. He grew up, you know, roughly not even 90 miles away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the, the center of his people, of the Jewish people. It is, is the power center politically, you know, religiously. The temple is there. It's a center where God is. the city of David. Like, it's this wonderful, beautiful spot that he made a pilgrimage there, pilgrimage there probably almost every year to worship. This was symbolic of the center of his people and how God had interacted with his people. And he approaches the city and he saw this, when he saw the city, he wept over it. Now, I want you to understand, this word wept isn't like the little, like, uh, you know, little, little tear, a little choke up, like, you know, I've got a little allergies, don't worry about it, okay? It wasn't that. 
This in the original language is a, is a guttural weep. It is, it is crying. It is, it is like a five Kleenex snot everywhere, out of control, hoping no one takes a picture of you at that moment kind of weep. He is bawling over this. Deep grief and pain as he looks at this city that he loves, that, that is his community. And he weeps and says, if you... Even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He's saying, look at you have missed your moment. The Messiah is here. The King of Kings is here. And somehow you have turned your eyes. Somehow you have missed it. You've blown it. And it breaks his heart. I mean, in a sense... When I look at Syracuse, I see that. When you look at Vancouver or Portland, if, when you look at, at, at your area, your region, if you have God's heart, there's something in it that, that breaks, that weeps. For so many that have missed that the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, is available in here. And you love them so much and they've missed it. Keep saying, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. He's describing a a, a kind of a typical siege by the Romans. He's prophesying what's going to happen. And they'll not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize a time of God's coming to you. That this pain as he realized there's destruction in the mist. It isn't just an oops, well, my bad. That there's real consequences in our communities in the mist. You know, Jesus loved this community and yours. I liked Syracuse when I left as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old. But when I came back, God broke my heart, gave me his heart for that city. And it's a supernatural love. And I'm going to explain a little bit later how you maybe can catch God's heart for your community. True love will change your behavior. Why? Here's my second point. Because love leads to service. Let me read you um, something that went on. It was just before the Passover festival. Just before, you know, the great Passover. And this is the night he's going to be betrayed. The night he had the original communion meal. And he he knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world... He loved them to the end. He is in love to the very end, no matter what the cost. He's in love with his community. His inner circle, the, the 12, the 3, the, the 72, but 
but the wider circle, the city, the country, the nation, the world. So he gets up from his meal, took off his outer garments, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I mean, he's moved by love. He begins to humbly serve. And sometimes we read this and we just go, oh, wow, yeah, that's something, you know. But, but I want you to think about this a little bit. Like, again, put ourselves in the reality of the moment. He knows he's going to get stabbed in the back, beaten into a pulp, shamed in front of everybody, and suffer one of the most brutal, cruel executions ever created by humanity. And he's got all that on his mind, and yet he loves the people around him. And they are so hung up on their own status that they're just paying, they won't, they won't serve anybody else. And so everybody's sitting there around, it's kind of like sitting on the floor with their feet near each other, kind of with a little table, you know, and cushions, and their dirty feet right around each other because no one would clean each other's feet. And, you know, we think of, oh, yeah, that's kind of gross, but, man, our feet are, like, really nice compared to feet in that day. Like, no, I'm willing to bet anyone here $100, and you can pay me in heaven, but we can ask those disciples if any of them ever got a manicure. (laughs) I'm going to bet zero, right? And they're walking around on these dirty, dusty, muddy streets with a strap of leather wrapped around the bottom of their foot. And those streets are dirty, but, you know, there's a lot of... We have air pollution because all the vehicles we travel in. Their pollution from the vehicles they travel in was a little different. Went more like plop, plop. And they're walking in that stuff. And those feet are dirty, gnarly. And Jesus puts on the shameful, the humble wrappings of a servant and gets down there and goes, Come on, Thomas, get your feet over here. Dang, man. Clip your toes every once in a while, man. Clean these feet one by one because he loves them wants to raise their quality of life, wants to serve them the best he can because he loved his community. You know, and then he has this exchange with Peter. And when he had finished washing their feet, puts on his clothes and returns to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. He wasn't saying, hey, I'm just nobody. I, I'm, no, I am the Lord of the universe. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Like, if you're going to learn to love like me, act like me, you're going to have to serve like me. True love serves. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant's greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. If you love your community, if you serve your community, if you get down and get your hands dirty in your community, if you risk shame and status for your community because you love and care for them, you will be blessed. And your community will be blessed. You know, so true love will, will change, will lead to service. Since we look to love our community through service, we look for needs and we meet them. Ask, where are the gaps? What out there can I serve, even though no one else is doing it, even though no one else thought about it? Think about the needs and meet them. We have a, a pastor on staff who, we're a multi-site church in Camillus, and we had a site next to Syracuse University. And so he had a lot of students there, and he's just thinking, how do I serve people? And idea he came up with, Syracuse that year was ranked the number one party school in the nation. And he knew, you know, everybody was partying there, and so he, um, and he knew where they all partied. So him and his buddy uh, go out at, they went out like 11 o'clock at night to the big party street where a lot of the, the, the fraternities are and the whole bit, and with a wagon, with water, these coolers of water, bottled water, a bunch of bottled waters in them. Cooler, thank you. Every once in a while I go blank and we'll play charade. So join in, okay? Uh, one word sounds like. Uh, and he'd go with a cooler full of waters and some granola bars. And he said, like, we're a hydration station. And he'd be giving out these waters and talking to kids, and they were drunk. And you know how tired that is. You ever talk to a drunk person? They think they're the funniest people in the world. <laughs> and they're not if you're not drunk. <laughs> and he'd put up with that and listen to the stories. But, but he would he'd get an opportunity and say, hey, can I pray for you? Man, that's hard. Can I pray for you? He prayed for people. He'd invite them to this group for a skeptics uh, discussion group on dorm. And people would come and a few came to church and got baptized. But he saw a need. He saw a niche. And he went there and served. Even though, you know, they got some beers thrown at them and they got laughed at, you know. And pulling your little red wagon around, you know, that might not be as cool as some other things. But he served because he loved. To serve your community will take stepping out of your comfort zone. It'll cost you something. Guaranteed. You know, when the, um, the pandemic hit, uh, our church, we had at our original site, we had a, a very big, robust um, food pantry. And when, the COVID, when COVID hit, uh, a bunch of churches in central New York close their food pantries down. They're afraid of, you know, uh, contact, and uh, they were, you know, older people, and, uh, you know, and I get it. I mean, it hit Syracuse really hard. I, I did five COVID funerals in our church, so it, it, was, it was the real deal, and so uh, they called us up, and they said, would you be willing to start some, some, some food pantries? So I said, sure, well, let's serve our community. So one of our sites is in a poor neighborhood, and uh, I, I was at one star there, and I remember it. Like, it was, it was a scary time, if you remember right when this was first happening. No one knew what it was, and literally people were dying. 
and we're like, okay, we're going to hand food to people. And I was the front person. And it was scary, you know, and it was a gay, and it was, it was, but it was this huge need. And we actually opened up three different food pantries in that season to serve three different communities that we had sites in. See a need. Love drives you to serve in that place. You know, Jesus wants us, here's my third point. Jesus wants us to transform our, our communities. When we love them, we serve them, transformation will come. It'll have real impact. You see, Jesus said this to us. He looked out at a crowd, maybe not much different than us, right? The butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, just regular people, all ages, men and women, different levels of connection with Jesus. And, and some of you may not even know Jesus at this point. I'm really glad you're here, and I'm glad you're exploring this idea. And I'm glad you're hearing about what Jesus wants to do in a community. But he went to all this mixed crowd, and he looks at him, and those who is connected him, he says, you, you are the salt of the earth. That's who you are. That's your real identity. Now think about that for a minute. Salt. Salt has these incredible features. Salt stops the decay when it comes in contact with something. It stops it from rotting and dying. It preserves something. Incredibly important in a dying place. Salt brings flavor, enjoyment to things. Have you ever eaten popcorn without salt? Let me put it a better way. Have you ever eaten cardboard? <laughs> Same thing, right? But you put some salt on it. You can't stop, right? Till that bowl is empty. You know, that's, that's what salt, when it comes to God. Now, if, if the salt's over in a shaker in a kitchen, it doesn't do anything. But when it's in the mix, and it brings flavor, it preserves life. He looked at his crowd. He said, also, you know what else? You, you, each one of you, if you've connected with Jesus, you. You are the light of the world. The light of the world. Light illuminates. Light brings clarity. Light, you know, chases away fear. Light brings comfort. Light is powerful. And it always overcomes the darkness. He says, you are the light of the world. And we're to have real impact, like salt and life. Jesus wants us to transform our communities. Wherever you live, Vancouver, if some of you live in Portland, if you, you know, whatever place you live, you should be a transformer. You should be having impact on his community. There, there's this one story, pretty cool story, right? Jesus goes to this area and he bumps into this guy that is incredibly demonized. His life is totally off the hook, total mess. Hurting himself, hurting others. The community's rejected him. It's just a mess. And Jesus comes in and brings healing. Breaks the power of the demonic over his life. And it even says, 
And then and he, he chases the demons off. You know, you've heard this. And they go into pigs, and the pigs run over a cliff and die. And everybody's freaked out, and they run to the village to tell everybody. And they come back, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind. Jesus, because of his love and his transforming power, brought this guy to what he really was created to be. The kingdom came. And, uh, you know, the, the, the community freaks out for this kind of power and change, and they want Jesus to go, and so Jesus wasn't going to stay there anyhow, you know, so he's, he's moving because he's got people to talk to. And, and the man whom the demons had gone out from begged to go with him. That, that he, he wanted to stay in that huddle. He wanted to stay in that, that sacred place, that safe place right with Jesus. He just wanted to live the experience. He wanted to be at the conference. He wanted to be in worship. He wanted to just be in his, his little bubble where there wasn't pain and everything was coming up roses. But Jesus sent him away saying this. And I think this is a word for us today. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. That he went all over town and he was salt and he was light. And he was the, 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 the living example of what the power of God could do. And I see him serving people and loving people. And changing that community. Think of the impact that man must have had. Jesus, stay, transform your community. Love and service will lead to transformation. So, so how do you get God's heart for your city? Let me give you just a handful of things. Because you might be sitting here and going, yeah, that's nice, John. I really don't have it. That's what I think about Portland, right? Or... You know, I can't wait to get out of Vancouver. Whatever it is, right? Here's how you can get God's heart. First, pray. Cry out. Ask God for his heart. Ask God to move in your community. Once you start praying, it changes you from the inside out. Jesus, one time, they're walking, and they see, you know, the desperation of people and the communities that they're walking through, and Jesus looks out and says, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Is that true about the Portland area? How many people think that the harvest is plentiful? Most of you, okay. Rest you, nudge a person next to you, wake them up, because I'm going to ask another question. How many of you think there's not enough laborers in the Portland area? Right? So this is a good prayer for us. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers in the harvest field. Jeremiah tells us to, to pray for the prosperity of the city that you are in. They were in exile, but they were being taught to pray that God would bless this place, and these people. You know, so begin to pray. One of the things we did in Syracuse is we did prayer walks. 
Honestly, I'm not even that good of a prayer. I'm really kind of a lousy prayer. Like, don't ask me to pray for you because I might think of it for like two seconds and just say, yeah, God, pray for you. You know, do something nice for them. I'm not a good prayer. But God hooked me in this idea of praying for my city. And so two different times, I literally walked every street in the city of Syracuse. Every street in the, in the suburb of Geddes and the suburb of Camillus and the suburb of Liverpool and, and Janesville and, you know, all these, you know, some of the other ones farther out. I didn't go on these country roads, you know, but I walked or jogged these streets praying. Just I, I walked, you know, I walked on the mayor's street and I walked on a street that had crack houses. I walked in, in, in the stabilized neighborhoods and the unstabilized, the business district and the, the forgotten district and the industrial. I walked on every street just praying for the blessing of God, crying out, give me your heart. Let me see how you see this street. It was, it was transforming for me. There's a new love as God allowed me to see as I felt as I stood in a gap, crying for people. Pray. Start walking your neighborhood and praying. Walk your dog. You know, start riding a bike, whatever it is. Get out there and pray for the peace of God, for the presence of God, for the healing of the kingdom. I think secondly, after you pray, learn its redemptive history. God has already been working in the history around here. You know, he's been doing things. So learn about what he's done before because it may give you an insight to what he wants to do in the future. In Syracuse, as I studied its history, one of the things that was highlighted at one point to me was back in 1851, there was this, they called it the Jerry Rescue. It was when the Fugitive Slave Act was put in place and uh, Syracuse was a hotbed of abolitionists. And they were actually having a conference in town at that time. And they had arrested this, this fugitive slave who had been in the city down for 10 years, had worked a craft and had his own business. And some guys came up from the south, arrested him, threw him in jail. And among the abolitionists, it, it rose up this cry for justice. And so basically what happened, long story short, is the abolitionists, black and white, joined together in the middle of the night to storm the jail and to rescue him. It was almost all Christians that did it. And it was the church coming together, racial divide being forgotten, economic divides being forgotten. And coming together to bring the kingdom and bring freedom and justice to an individual. It's a powerful moment. They actually found out that they, they used to celebrate that jury rescue after the Civil War for about 30 years. And as more racism and broken societal issues came in, they stopped celebrating it. And so three years ago, we started doing a, a celebration at the spot where the jail was, and there's a little monument there, remembering what God did to spur us on 
to see the church come together to serve the community to bring a kingdom. Learn its redemptive history. Third, start serving in some way. Find a need and meet it. Just begin to move. I think when you just start doing something, it'll give you more ideas. You just get your hands dirty. Just get in a place where you're seeing now at a different angle will be powerful. You know, we began to do like just, you know, Earth Day cleanups. And all of a sudden you're walking around the street and picking it up and you're getting to know neighbors. We did early on when we were at church, you know, just as we were planting, we thought, what do young families need? They need something to do free for their kids. And so we did egg hunts. We'd run into artists, and artists would say, man, we have nowhere to show our work. So we started an art show in our church. It literally grew to be the biggest art show in the county of the most people participating. It was crazy, insane. We found out about a school that was being shut down. They had a super failing list. And this school was on the list of, you know, that if they didn't bring their things up, their grades up in that year, they were going to be closed. Devastating to the community. So we went in and we, we got this idea. and We said, hey, we'll bring in a bunch of tutors to help. And I'll tell you what we'll do. We will buy, you know, talking to teachers and figuring out how to, we basically said, if kids raise their reading this much or however you want to measure it, and we'll set a goal in the beginning of the year, and you guys will chart it and, you know, celebrate it, that we'll bring those kids to the Foot Locker and they can buy, pick out any pair of shoes they want in the Foot Locker and we'll pay for it. That school went, had the highest rise in their reading and math scores than any other school in the state. It was incredible. And these kids went in, and everybody went right to the Air Jordans that year, man. And it cost us a lot of money. But it brought the kingdom. Just do something. I could sit up here and tell you about 12 things we did that didn't work. Handing out coffee at the off-ramp next to a homeless guy did not work. You know? But you just got to try things. Begin to do something. Fourth thing. Learn, study your area about its potential, about its needs. Some of you say, I live in a a pretty well-to-do area. Your area's got needs. They're just hidden better. Money can hide things, but it's still there. Figure it out. Study it. You know, it's history, it's demographic, it's movement, it's, it's other projects going on. Uh, who are the players? What, what, what does the city think for the area? Talk to, you know, politicians. Just find out and, and, and learn about where it really is at and what it really needs. The more you know about an area, the more you can catch God's heart. Here's a fifth thing. Kind of the... the Second last thing is discern God's heart. Now you got this information. You've gotten your hands dirty. You've been praying. Listen to what Jesus is saying to do. Jesus told that guy, stay and be salt and earth in that community. He told Peter, you know, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. He's got something for you. Each one of you here, I don't care what your age is. I don't care if you're still in high school or you just retired. 
Jesus has a call for your life. You have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do. So what does he want you to do? What breaks his heart and your heart? Here's the key question. Ask yourself, what would change? You know, Marshall, ask this for Vancouver, Portland, wherever you see your footprint for this church. What would change if the kingdom of God came here in its fullness? Now think about that. What would change in your neighborhood if Jesus' way was being played out? What would God do if he had full reign? You know, it could be salvations. It could be healing. It could be better education. It could be racial reconciliation. It could be fair housing. It could be a wave of, of, of loving community. Could be any one of those things and all those things. Trust the Holy Spirit to give you direction. And here's the last thing. Once you get a sense of something, this is where everything stops if it doesn't happen. You have to dive in. You have to go do it. You have to get your hands dirty. You have to make the hard step. You have to leap in faith because if God's calling you something, it may be bigger than you are. It's going to be countercultural. It's going to be awkward. It's going to, you know, people are going to misunderstand you. All those things are going to happen. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you energy. It's going to cost you friends. It will cost you, but you need to dive in. If you want to change a place, you need to go for it. It is going to be hard. It's going to be risky. You know, I, I had told you in the beginning that Syracuse, this study came out seven, eight years ago, that Syracuse was the ninth most segregated place. I, I remember reading the article on Syracuse.com, and I seen the headlines, and they said, like, top 10, you know, most segregated place in the country. And I, in a smug, pride-filled way, I go, oh, yeah, I'm sure there's going to be all southern cities. Let's have some fun and mock the south. And I looked, and there was Syracuse. And it broke my heart because God had clearly called Gwen and I, our church, to transform central New York. I remember reading that and going, this is so not the kingdom. This is a part that we've missed to speak to as a church. And then we began to study and we began to you know, research what it meant here and, and what that whole issue was and what does the Bible have to say about that. And, and as we, we, we read and studied and learned and we knew that God was calling us a church, our church to be a part of that transformation. To grow, to be diverse, to reflect the beloved kingdom, the beloved community that is in, in heaven. Where everybody's worshiping together in their own tongue, within their language, with their own culture, but in unity. How do we help that happen in Syracuse? We realized that if we were going to lead, we had to lead. And if we're going to make a change, we're going to have to pay a price. And so Gwen and I made the decision that we needed to move into a, we were in a nice, you know, neighborhood, a, a 
kind of monocultural neighborhood. We'd lived there, we had owned our house there for 27 years. And we knew God had called us. If we were going to lead, we had to move into a neighborhood that was diverse, that we maybe were the minority. And so we went and we walked streets and we figured it out. We, we sold our house and we bought this, this old boarded up uh, former bar. And we gutted the thing. And we live upstairs. And it's actually a very cool apartment, brick walls and stuff. And, you know, the downstairs is a community center. And the outside is percolating with life and death at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it was a cost. 27 years at my house, I never woke up to go out the the back entrance and find somebody threw up there or used the facilities there. Never heard shootings at night in my old neighborhood. Never had a deal with walking home and being propositioned or asked for money or all the stuff, you know. But man, there's life in that neighborhood. I pray for more people walking around that neighborhood I, I pray for more people in a month than I did in 27 years in my old neighborhood. And you can feel the salts and the light in small ways making a difference. Making a difference in us. It was hard. It was risky. But you can do that. This church can change the spiritual climate of this area. You know, I said that, that Syracuse was uh, Barna. He was this, he's this Christian researcher, and he used to rank cities in the country and how Christianized they were. And he would do things like church attendance and Bible knowledge and, um, you know, uh, some, different, some different factors that he had, how much people gave to charities, all these different things. It was very interesting. And Syracuse was ranked the 12th least Christianized. I'm sure Portland's up there, you know, somewhere in that list. Okay, I found this on the web for Can. Check it out. Just a second. Shut up, Siri, I'm in the middle of something. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> That's pretty funny, isn't it? <laughs> The last time he came out with his rankings, Syracuse, you watched go from 12 to like 19 to like 30. Last time he came out that I saw, we were like 41st. And I'm going to say, you know, I looked and I said, what changed? And really it was us and another church between those things. It had grown and the both of us very involved with the community, very active in bringing the kingdom in all kinds of ways, not just church services. I thought, man, our just simple little vineyard church change the spiritual atmosphere in our community. With this other church, another church, it wasn't just us. Please don't hear that. I think this church could do it. But it only happens if you, if each one of you, respond to what God is stirring. 
if you begin to leap and be the salt and the light. It's your call. Why don't you all stand? And in a moment, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna ask actually invite you to come down if because uh, I want to pray for there's some of you that God's stirring on you right now that you have an idea that that as I talk God was you know this uneasy feeling this sense of the presence of God this maybe an idea that you've been saying no to God's bringing back up. Maybe for some of you, you're a new stage of life and you know you've got to make a change here. That God's calling you to get real, to be salt and light in a new way. And so in a moment, I'm going to call you down to say yes in front of your community, but more importantly, in front of God. And we're going to pray for the power of God and the courage of God to fill you. So I'm only going to ask once, and it's right now. If that's you, come on down right now, and I want to pray for you for a release of that courage and power.